Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls with me, Dr. Plenty. Today, we're going to talk about Crohn's disease and pregnancy. This month is Crohn's Awareness Month. So some of you might not know much about Crohn's disease because it only affects about 11 in 100,000 people. It is an inflammatory bowel disease that can affect the entire digestive tract. This is slightly different than the other type of inflammatory bowel disease called ulcerative colitis, which only is limited to the colon or the storage portion of the bowel. Crohn's disease can cause issues in pregnancy with absorption of nutrients due to diarrhea, which can also cause unintended weight loss. Symptoms of Crohn's disease include abdominal cramping, nausea, vomiting, increased fatigue due to weight loss and diarrhea. To help me discuss Crohn's disease and pregnancy, I have a very special guest with me today, Miss Melody Blackwell, superwoman entrepreneur and Crohn's disease advocate. Melody Noreen Blackwell is a serial entrepreneur and health advocate who has always been passionate about encouraging others to dig deep to pursue their purpose. As a multi-ethnic woman of faith, she has built businesses that represent all parts of who she is. Though she has been a part-time entrepreneurial journey in 2018 after she was laid off from her full-time job, concurrent with her laying off and leap of faith, Melody was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which has been an arduous ongoing battle for her life. Facing this health challenge head-on led her to become a passionate health advocate for people of color who battle illnesses, which caused her to create the company Color of Crohn's and Chronic Illness. Melody, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Plenty. I am so appreciative and and grateful to be able to share about Crohn's disease with you. Well, thank you so much for coming. So um, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and some of your ventures. You know, it's so interesting because the last thing I thought I'd be doing is running a nonprofit. (laughs) On the list of things that I wanted to do, I never put nonprofit uh, founder on there. And God has a way of always telling you that you thought you had plans, but my plans are greater. And Mm -hmm. from, from before I got into this nonprofit world, I actually had a bridal shop. I had an international event planning business. I owned a restaurant and bar and I had a real estate management company. So running and being the founder of a nonprofit just didn't seem to fit in that box. Uh, But it's so interesting how out of 
our our pain, we really find purpose and passion. And for that, I am so grateful to have experienced what I have experienced with Crohn's disease because it would not have propelled me into the avenue of, of being a non-founder, I mean, being a founder had I not dealt with this disease um, very specifically. So, um, uh, reading your bio and reading your, you know, going through your website, I was like, oh my gosh, she does so much. So are you, how are you juggling all that you do? What's interesting now is that this year has been a, a huge year of clarity for me. And many of those ventures that I was running and had created are actually in the process of being closed or have closed down because I have really delved into uh, being a representative, a health advocate for black health in general, and then the representative and founder and voice of Kochi, Color of Crohn's and Chronic Illness. So I'm actually not doing all those things anymore, praise God, but I feel like I'm doing so much more because there's so many avenues in black health and minority health and Crohn's and IBD. And, you know, I have a show that's called What the Gut that's run on blackdoctor.org. And then I have these participations on steering committees and board and then i have the other elements that go with compassion care for the community members of kochi which we have more than 250 so although i shut down other ventures i feel like with kochi alone and health advocacy i have 10. <laughs> yeah it sounds like that i mean i understand like the pandemic has definitely allowed all of us to prioritize what's important and what's you know really our passion and sort of shut down things that may be distracting us from what we really need to do. I mean, uh, you know, I had a, a business, my husband and I both had a business in Indiana, um, which was called Green District, that we just shut down as well. And right. it was just taking too much time and too much money, but it's allowed me to refocus on doing things with health advocacy um, right. and doing other things. So I completely, um, completely get it. So talk to me about your journey since you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Crohn's was a very interesting process for me, even getting to diagnosis, Dr. Plenty, because you mentioned basically internal symptoms, but there are a lot of extra intestinal symptoms that it that's why one of the reasons it takes long for many people when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with them to get to diagnosis. My Mine include arthropathy. My I had severe arthritis in my feet that they kept calling gout in my hands, in my knees. I had 64 ounces of fluid drained one time. And I had eye infections that I continued to get. I had mouth ulcers. I had a mental fatigue like nobody's business. And I, if anyone knows me, they know I can remember, I can recall. I'll tell you what you were wearing. I started to forget things. And I remember telling my best friend, she said, oh, do you remember something? And I was like, from like a, like a year prior. And I was like, no, I don't remember that. And she was like, no, come on, come on. No, you remember. And she called my husband and she goes, there's something really wrong with Melody. <laughs> because oh, wow. we've been friends for over 20 years and she would just couldn't believe it because I've always been like, oh no, you had on these shoes, you had this on, your hair was like this, then you said this and then they said this and then, but I, could, I was missing that component and I had to start to tell people, hey, you know, I don't remember the way that I used to. I know that's hard to believe, but I'm not 
acting. Like this is really a symptom that I'm battling. And I, it took me four or five months to really come to grips with the fact that I had severe memory fatigue. But that's one that people don't know they don't address. I had hair loss uh, and I would show my husband that balls of my hair was falling out. Doctors were kind of like, no, that that's not possible. But it is possible because if you're going through the fact that your digestive system is not getting the nutrients that it needs, it's also not going to give you the, your body the nutrients to, to maintain your hair, to maintain your nails, to maintain your skin. So malabsorption and malnutrition are huge symptoms of Crohn's disease. Anemia, because of the bleeding, I dealt with that. I would be ice cold. And then there's another disease called Raynaud's disease. And that's something I actually think I was battling, which, you know, with the limbs and blood flow. So there were a lot of things that are outside of what Crohn's disease looks like for people because it's inflammation in the tract of the entire body. It's not just like, oh, it's in my digestive system. It goes through the walls. And because of that, inflammation can manifest everywhere, like in my lips, in my face, um, ear issues. I was having something like swelling inside of my inner ear. So there's a lot of things that I, that I battled to get there. But once I was diagnosed with Crohn's and I had started to lose my mobility at that time, once I knew what it was and we went through these different medical or, or um, medicine uh, trials, we got to one and then I was actually in a place where I started to feel everything uh, retract. Like I was, my mobility came back and my hair started growing back. And, you know, it wasn't just my hair losing hair, but I, it was also losing the texture. The curls were, were not curls anymore. They were like straight. I mean, there's so many things that you're dealing with, with one disease. You're, you're kind of in a place of disbelief or, or like denial because you're like, there, there's no way that I could possibly be going through a gut issue that's manifesting all over my entire body. No, I completely get that. And, and for our listeners, what Mel is talking about you know Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease and so it's an autoimmune disease so you have inflammation that can happen anywhere in your body but primarily when we talk about Crohn's disease that's why we talk about the digestive system but it can happen anywhere in your body and when we talk about ulcers that is a sign of inflammation so inflammation in Crohn's can present as ulcers and you can have blood loss and bleeding from those ulcers and from areas of inflammation anywhere along uh, your GI tract. And then I think that people um, don't understand the importance of nutrition, right? Yes. Like if you're not absorbing the nutrients that you need, you can have brittle hair. You can have issues with your skin. You can have chronic fatigue. Absolutely. You can have memory loss. So if you have, um, if you're chronically malnourished, you can have a lot of other symptoms. And sometimes those symptoms can be very vague, very hard to pinpoint. um, And it can be very hard to diagnose if you, if those symptoms or constellation of symptoms are the prevailing thing that you're presenting with, other than just your classic textbook Mm -hmm. um, symptoms of Crohn's disease. So how long after you had those symptoms did you actually get diagnosed? How long did it take them to figure out what was going on with you? To be honest with you, Dr. Plenty, I think I've battled Crohn's disease probably since I was a child. I've had stomach issues from as far as I can remember, but like very vividly from the age of 12. And I was told that I had internal hemorrhoids. And, you know, so when I would deal with some of the symptoms and when they would be like triggered or exacerbated by food, I would cut those foods out. And (laughs) this is going to sound so crazy, but I would eat a lot of kale. 
And I said, okay, leafy greens, let me eat that. That's going to help my stomach or whatever. And I, I, for the most part, I eat pretty well. And prior to, I've eaten pretty well. But I would do that thinking that I was actually supporting really good gut health when I could have actually been doing other things to trigger because fiber isn't always your friend when you're dealing with this. And one of the things that led up to me actually getting a diagnosis was that I had rectal blisters, they would abscesses and they would pop. I have fistulas. At this time, I have two cetons. Cetons are plugs. Oh, let me backtrack. A fistula. What is a fistula? It's one of the most fun parts about Crohn's disease, and I'm really lying. So they, when you look at the textbook definition of a fistula, they say it's a communication. And when we think of communication, we're thinking of verbiage and talking. Nope, 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 nope. It's an extra tube basically giving you another exit from your bottom or wherever, you know, it's connected. It could be a, a bladder to the colon fistula or vaginal to the colon fistula or to the bladder. And I dealt with something called a rectovaginal fistula as well. So at one point I had about eight fistula because the blisters that I thought they were just blisters, they were abscesses and they were popping and creating extra exits from my bottom. And that part, my friends, was the pr probably the most agonizing outside of urgency. And urgency is when I would eat something and it would just fly right through my body within one minute and I'd be running to the restroom. So there's a lot of situations <laughs> when it goes uh, to Crohn's. But once I did get, get a, a concrete diagnosis after probably about, I would say in 2012, I had a tumor in my face. And after that, they were like, you have something autoimmune going on. I went to a rheumatologist. We couldn't figure it out. You know, And I would go back and forth through these times of swelling and random uh, symptoms that felt like they were unassociated. And once I, we got to 2018 because I had to have two back-to-back -back surgeries because of the fistulas that were popping. Then that's when the conversation for Crohn's disease came in play. More, more specifically, a very rare form, perianal Crohn's disease. Yeah, I have um, prepared numerous colovaginal fistulas. And let me tell you, they are not, they're probably my <laughs> least favorite thing to repair because they break down. And that's because you use a vagina. <laughs> you use a vagina, so you can't just say, you know, don't use a vagina and, and somebody that may be actually active. And you're using your colon. So you can't really say don't use your colon unless you have something super severe and you have to get some like a diversion or a diversion colostomy to prevent you from using the colon. So, yeah, that communication and inflammation, you can try to plug those, you can try to repair those, but um, they often come back. And some people, if you have, uh, if you don't have an inflammatory process going on, you can get fistulas if you, just in childbirth, you can develop fistulas if you have a tear there, then that will predispose you to a fistula. And those are more easily repaired. Um, it still takes about 12 weeks for them to heal, but they're more easily to repair because you don't have the autoimmune infl inflammatory process going on. But if you have somebody with Crohn's disease and you have repair and they're still having an inflammation or they're having flares, then it, it can cause you to have a, a recanalization or that connection reforming or officially coming somewhere else. So, um, man, I feel for you. I'm glad that you um, got through that hump of uh, those multiple repairs. Eight fistula. That's a lot. Yes, yes, yes. But then I got on uh, a biologic. <clears throat> 
And me being a person who is deathly afraid of needles, <laughs> the thought of having to inject myself with medication, I just was not for it, not for it, not buying it, not going to do it. And while I, I was on like prednisone and methotrexate and azathioprine and all of these different pills, and it was not working. It just was not repairing. It was like, girl, you're going to have to do this or you're just going to be crawling on the ground. And I literally lost my mobility to the point that I was just crawling on the ground. And I was okay with that. I was in pain. I had lost over 30 pounds. I got to the point where me and the ground were like peas and carrots. I had absolutely refused to give myself an injection. I just wasn't going to do it. And it took me back to a memory of childhood when I watched uh, a, a, fr a family member inject themselves with, with um what do you call it uh, for diabetes? What is it? insulin? Insulin. So yeah. I had watched her. Yes, I was tw uh, 10 or 11 years old and I watched her inject herself with insulin. And I said, oh, my gosh, you have to give yourself shots. I could never do that. I would never do that. And she said, well, you know, baby, if you get to a point where you have to choose life and this is how you're going to live and survive, you'll do it. And I had that very vividly in my head. And it was like ringing loud. And it was almost like the enemy was saying, look, you're choosing death. And that's good. That works for me. So thank you for choosing death because my goal is to kill, um, kill, steal, and destroy. So you continue to, to choose that and I'll win. And then all of a sudden I had this surge of power. Like I'm going to do this because I have to, for my husband, for my child, for my family, I cannot be this stubborn and scared of something. If I trust God, I cannot live in fear because the fear is destroying my life. And I got to one day, I told my husband, we had the medication for over a month. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, okay, you're going to have to do this for me. I haven't got to the place where I can do it for myself. So, but I got to the place where I'm going to allow you to inject me. I must really trust you because I'm going to let you do this. And he, when he pulled out the needle to do it, I actually tried to crawl away because I lost my mobility. Oh my God. I had already lost my mobility. So I tried to crawl away. He's just looking at me, shaking his head like, okay, I mean, I could just walk and catch you, but I'm going to let you go through this process that you think you're really getting away from me. And I just... I just said, forget it. I give up. I can't move. I can't even get away from you. And when he did it, within three days, I was standing. I had put on a pair of heels. Like, I couldn't walk in them, but I put them on. I hadn't been able to put on heels, stand in heels, walk in heels. Like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't even get out of my bed in the morning. Like, I had to, I was telling someone, I had to process where I'm like, okay, you're awake now. Now you're going to slide your leg over. You're wow. going to rub both of your legs. And as you rub both of the legs, you're going to stand on one. You're going to try to stand on one to make sure you don't topple over face front for it. And so this was a process. And then I would try to sit in the other one. I would slide down because then I'd have to crawl to wherever I was going. Like it just, it had gotten to a place where I was, I was really disabled, like in, in all facets. And I would just think about the fact I, I had lost my job too, because they were uh, restructuring. And, and, you know, I was so grateful to have lost that job. I cannot tell you because I was so exhausted because of all the symptoms I was going through. I didn't know what was going on with me. And I felt crazy going to work and driving to work. And I mean, it's so many pieces to this, but I was relieved that I had gotten laid off but I was still thinking about the people who didn't have family support and friends and they were rejected from the disability and
insurance and just all of these things. I said, wow, God, you know, in all of this that I was enduring, I still prayed for them so much because everybody's path and trajectory isn't the same as mine was. And I just couldn't shake the feeling of who helps them, who supports them. So in my despair, I'm still thinking and operating uh, in a capacity to care for others because that's just who I am. But I couldn't imagine anyone having to, like, you can't wake up like you used to wake up and jump and go. I mean, it started out where I would have to use the bathroom because of the urgency, and I'm sliding and sliding my legs because I couldn't run to the bathroom. And it wasn't like, you know, oh, I got to get up and use the bathroom. Let me get to the bathroom. It's like, you have you wake up, bathroom comes down. There's no, like, second to really think about it. So all of these symptoms, they were really, I think, working on me through this whole time to build the nonprofit. That is amazing. And um, the fact that you overcame and you want to help other people um, is fantastic. I'm glad that you became a Crohn's advocate because we need to hear more stories like this. As a health professional, I think that it's amazing that you're sharing your story because I need to hear that and other healthcare professionals need to hear how Crohn's disease impacts people differently. Um, that will increase our knowledge base so we can say, hey, listen, I heard that there was another patient that had this constellation of symptoms. Like, maybe I need to go down this route. Um, so I think that the more you share your story, the better so that you can help all of us and uh, we can come to diagnosing people quicker. Tell me about your pregnancy journey. Because, you know, all of this is when you're not pregnant. So how was your pregnancy? Actually, I started the journey with with my pregnancy feeling a fear. I was like, we hadn't been pregnant. I'm going to I might lose the baby again because I'd already gone through that. So I resisted even going to the doctor until I was like eight and a half weeks because we lost the baby at seven weeks last time. And I said, okay, I'm just going to wait because I I don't want to go to the doctor and go through this. I just kind of want to wait. And I waited. And then I started to have fear from what nutrients aren't I absorbing? What is the baby going to feel from that? How is this going to affect the baby? And I I went through those emotions. And then finally, I just got to a place where I said, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. God makes no mistakes because I didn't create this baby. While I think I did, I didn't. He made it possible. And I have to trust that as he provides always, he will continue to provide. And as I was going through my journey, I saw a lot of doctors. I saw my, my OBGYN, perinatologist. I saw my gastro and my colorectal surgeon. So I saw these four doctors and I felt like every week I was at an appointment. It just just seemed like that was the rotation because of being high risk naturally, you know, over a certain age and then having this chronic autoimmune disease and then now having to provide for a life inside. It was like doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment. And things went really, really well until around 32 weeks or 31 weeks, I would say. And I started to get fevers every time I got my injection. It would take two or three days and I would get the injection and I got these fevers and they, I would wait till the third or fourth day and then I'd have to go to the hospital because after that it would be, you know, it was too much. And I remember going to the hospital and the baby's heart rate was like 178. And it would not come down. And then it started going up and it went to 200. And they were like, look, we're going to have to take this baby. You know, I this, if you're if you don't get to a safe zone with her heart rate and your heart rate, this is going to be a catastrophe. And they could not figure out what was going on. I think I probably had like three COVID tests 
at one time because they kept saying, well, the results are coming back positive. I mean, negative. They keep coming back negative. So we're going to test you again. And I'm like, I don't have COVID. I don't even leave the house. We don't leave the house. I don't go anywhere but to these doctor's appointments. And they still COVID tested me, which I understand the climate that we're in, but we had to go through that. Then I had to go again. COVID test, COVID test, COVID test. You are negative, negative, negative. And then finally they were like, we're going to take her at 37 weeks. We're going to take her because we can't keep risking you both. You know, we don't want to give you this medicine and that medicine. They gave me um, an antibiotic the first time I went. The, the second time they were just like, we're not going to keep playing in this game. Uh, you keep dealing with this and this is not safe. So they ended up taking her right at 37 weeks to the day. And when they took her, she was great. She was healthy. She had been growing. And like the one thing that happened is they took her and I think she stopped breathing for a second. So they did resuscitate and then she was good to go. And she went home with you a couple of days later. She did. We we were in the hospital for two. This So this is my second C-section. And we went ho- to home in two days. The first time we went home in five days. Let me tell you something. I was ready to run out of that hospital because we did not want to be there. And <laughs> I got up and walked like nobody business, pain and all. I said, oh, we're going to get out of here. And there, <laughs> they said we have to be in here a minimum of 48 hours. And that is all that it was going to be. And we came home on Saturday night. At 8.22, she was delivered at 8.11 on Thursday, came home Saturday at 8.22. Then um, Sunday was the one day we had home, and Monday my husband started chemotherapy. Oh, wow. So um, how's your husband doing? Doing okay? He is blessed. He is good. He is on his last step with his treatment journey. He has received three undetectable tests. Um, I say test scores, I guess test results. He's received three of those and he's in radiation right now. Last day is December 2nd and God is faithful. So oh we goodness. are so, so, so grateful. That is a blessing. So I'm glad to hear both of you guys are doing well and the baby is doing well. So that's amazing. So the next portion of the podcast, Mel, we usually go through some medical cases and we give listeners okay. about advice about certain scenarios. Okay. You good with that? Sure. All right. Yes. So uh, our medical intern, which you're familiar with, will read each of our uh, cases. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, medical intern, Lauren. Uh, Hello. Um, So um, our first case is a 23-year-old black woman. She's 16 weeks pregnant with her first child. She was diagnosed with Crohn's disease a year ago um, and was previously taking prednisone and Humira. Before her pregnancy. However, when she went to her first prenatal visit two weeks ago, her OBGYN told her to discontinue both medications because they were harmful to pregnancy. Now she has been she has been experiencing diarrhea and abdominal cramping. She um, contacted her provider and told her who told her to increase her water intake. But she's concerned that she's having a flare She tried to schedule an appointment online with her rheumatologist, but no appointments are available for the next two weeks. What should she do? You know, I'm not a medical expert. I'm a patient. As a patient, a patient leader and a health advocate, what I would advise her to do is find a gastro who specializes in pregnancy. There are gastros that specialize in pregnancy. I think that a lot of OBGYNs don't specialize in gastro. 
and they cannot lead you to what's best for you because guess what? If mom is not well, baby won't be well because baby will experience all those symptoms and the pains and the intense emotions that mom is going through. You know, they're going through that too. And it's being actually going from mom and then transferring to baby. I, I think that's very unhealthy for the doctor to have said that to her, in my opinion, because water does not resolve autoimmune disease. We love water. Drink more water. Yes, I love that response. But I encourage her to really seek out to find a gastro who is familiar with um, pregnancy and IBD because all gastros don't specialize in the care of IBD. And that's another thing that a lot of people don't know who battle IBD, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, that they think they can go to any gastro. No, you really want a specialist because they will understand what you are dealing with. And they did that extra mile of work in school to become an IBD specialist. They said, I'm going to understand these disease spaces more so that I can treat these disease spaces to the best of my ability. You need to seek out that kind of provider because if not, you will be chasing a rabbit hole with people that are guessing and pregnancy is a very sensitive place for your body to be in. Very sensitive, you're very vulnerable, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. You need the right provider for you. And it seems like your provider may not be offering you the best services. I definitely agree with with you. I think that this patient needs to see a specialist. So a couple of things that stick out in my mind. She's 16 weeks pregnant. So the first time she saw her OBGYN, she was 14 weeks. She was already outside of the first trimester. So when we're taking medicine away from people, we have to figure out, when is harm actually going to be caused? So some medications can cause birth defects, but the medicines that cause birth defects are ones that we we use in the first trimester. And so I know a lot of my general OBGYN colleagues listen to this podcast. So I'm going to say, please do not stop people's medicines um, with the exception of things like methotrexate. You got to stop that one immediately. But, um, Prednisone and Humira shouldn't be stopped. This patient needs to be referred to an MFM or also called a perinatologist so that they can go through their medication list and decide which ones are safe to continue and which ones are not safe to continue. Um, The patient seems like she has a rheumatologist and she's depending on a rheumatologist to manage her Crohn's disease, but she probably needs to be managed by a gastroenterologist as well. And she probably has a rheumatologist because she has some other uh, symptoms that are um, outside of the GI tract that that these people are managing, which is appropriate. But in this situation, if she's having GI symptoms, she definitely needs to see a gastroenterologist that is going to help her get on the right regimen. Now, unfortunately, it seemed like she was on the right regimen and she was doing fine with that regimen until she was taken off of the regimen. So I would say um, her OBGYN, honestly, this commonly happens. I see this all the time. People come in for the 18-week scan, and I'm asking them, what are they on? And they're like, oh, I was on something, but my OB told me to stop it. Or my primary care doctor, when I had a positive pregnancy test, told me that I should stop it. And so they stop everything cold turkey, and then they're in a flare, and then I put them back on everything. So um, so I would say, um, yes, I agree with Melody. Ask to be referred. And I say ask to be referred to a maternal fetal medicine or perinatologist first, because they're the people that are going to get you in first. Um, if an OB called me about somebody having a flare, I'm seeing them the same day versus your rheumatologist or your gastroenterologist that may not have point appointments um, directly available. 
um, your your MFM is also going to be the person that puts you in the hospital. So for me, I don't really take no for an answer. So if I call a GI doctor and they're like, I'm out of town, I'll see her next week. I'm like, well, one of your partners are going to see her because I'm going to put her in the hospital and make one of you guys see her so that you're going to get put on treatment immediately if you're in a flare you need immediate attention. This is not something that can just go on forever because if you're malnourished, then that's going to put you at increased risk of miscarriage. So I would definitely say ask for a referral. Yes, that's actually what happened with me with my perinatologist when I went to the hospital at 36 weeks and like six days or whatever that was. Uh, he was like, look, we're not going to do this back and forth with her. This is what's going on with her. This is going on her body. I cannot risk the baby and I can't risk her either. So he did exactly what you said, Nicole. He was like, no, 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 no. We know what's going on. Put her, admit her now and let's get the baby. Yeah, because this is doesn't, this is unfortunate um, that she has to go through a flare. She's early in her pregnancy. I mean, how long was this OB going to let her just drink water? I mean, it's, <laughs> she's going to let her drink water and, and, and become malnourished. That's crazy. So um, definitely, uh, this is somebody, if you're going through this, if you have any autoimmune disorder at all, first off, before you get pregnant, ask your OB, hey, which medicine should I take? And if they're not familiar, ask for a preconception consult with an MFM so they can go through all of your medicines. And then secondly, you know your body. If you are going through a flare, don't let somebody tell you you're not having a flare. You know what you feel like. But see, that's when patients have to learn to be their best advocate. And a lot of times they don't know what that means to advocate for themselves because they take whatever the doctor says as law, which is natural because we don't we know that we're not doctors. It took for me to manage and learn to manage my own health to say, wow, we are not empowered people and we have the power sitting right in front of us and we don't utilize it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I get that. You don't know what you don't know. Um, and No, and doctors work for us. They work for us. They do. And people forget they you your medical providers are working for you. And when they no longer work for you, then it's for you to work for you to find who does. Yeah, I mean, I will be the first to tell someone, get a second opinion. I mean, ask for a second opinion because you're right. Doctors are working for you. You know your body. You know when something is not right. And if something's not right and no one can give you an explanation for it, and that's not rude. People think, oh, I don't want to be rude. That's not rude. That's making sure that one, you're being told the right information and two, that you're getting the help that you need. So the case pearl is ask for a referral. When in doubt, if you feel like something is going on um, with your body, do not accept, hey, just drink water. Ask for a second opinion. Ask for a referral to a specialist so that somebody can get to the bottom of your symptoms and make sure you're treated with the right medications. Let's go um, to our medical resident to discuss our second case. The second case is a 38-year-old Caucasian woman who is 32 weeks pregnant with her second child. She has Crohn's disease. She has been hospitalized recently with a Crohn's flare for which she was managed with steroids. She's concerned about the long-term effects to her baby and does not desire to take this to take these steroids. What are the risks of steroids in pregnancy with Crohn's disease and how likely is her child to also have Crohn's disease? This patient is basically concerned that she 
is has been prescribed steroids for Crohn's disease flare and she wants to know the long-term effects to her baby so I would say one flares for any autoimmune disease usually are treated acutely with steroids and then secondly they're treated with a number of immune modulators antibiotics or NSAIDs. There are certain things you can take in pregnancy and certain things you can't take in pregnancy. So you're 32 weeks. If you have a flare, whether that is MS or multiple sclerosis, whether that's Crohn's disease, whether that's ulcerative colitis, um, I am going to treat you with steroids because that acutely decreases the inflammation. So I would say that is the right thing to do. You need to take steroids and, and because that gets you acutely out of the flare. Um, so I know you're concerned about the long-term effects, but we have to weigh the risk versus the benefits. Risk of steroids like prednisone, prednisone does not cross the placenta. So you're actually pretty safe taking prednisone, but it does increase your risk if you're on it for long periods of time of having a baby that is smaller. So those babies need to be followed throughout the pregnancy if you're on long-term steroids. And then after delivery, you can have um, what's called... Uh, almost like a, a, an immune response just from the stress of labor. So you would need what's called stress dose steroids if you're on a higher dose of steroids for more than three weeks before you deliver. So you would need a dose of stress dose, well, a couple of doses of stress dose steroids, um, usually hydrocortisone injections um, given every six hours for 24 hours to help stop this mounting of this immune response um, just from withdrawal and the stress of, of labor. Um, in terms of other than growth restriction um, for the baby, steroids at 32 weeks are not going to really cause you that much risk. Um, earlier in the pregnancy, it can cause you some risk. There's been some association with um, heart defects and cleft, cleft palate with certain steroids, but that's not prednisone. Um, because it doesn't cross the placenta. Um, we worry about high-dose dexamethasone, which is another type of steroid, and beta-methasone. We don't give those in long doses because we know those can cross the placenta, So, and we know those can cause some harm earlier in pregnancy um, and can also obviously suppress your immune system even further. So we don't like those steroids for a long period of time, but steroids in general, just to help get you out of a flare, Usually you're on injections and then you're tapered off of them um, and put on a smaller dose for the rest of pregnancy. So I would not be concerned. I'd be more concerned about you being in a flare for a long period of time than the effects of steroids. So let's weigh the risk and the benefits. Also, uh, you may have heard your doctor say that they wanted to give you either dexamethasone or betamethasone for fetal lung maturity. That is completely different than the amount of steroids you need for a flare, okay? Steroids for fetal lung maturity are just two doses given 24 hours apart if you're on betamethasone or 12 hours apart for four doses if you're on dexamethasone. And those are to help accelerate the lungs of the baby, the maturity of the baby, so that your baby has a, a smaller amount of time in the NICU. That is not the same as steroids for this flare. And so I would definitely agree that you should um, take the steroids. In terms of the uh, likelihood of your child having Crohn's disease, um, it is an autoimmune disease. So people that have a family history of autoimmune disease are more likely to have autoimmune disease in their family. But there's not a distinct genetic linkage to Crohn's disease. Like you're not passing it down to your child. So the risk would be low. My response would be to 
check with your healthcare provider. Like you said, if you're, and I've said this earlier, if you are not comfortable with what they're offering, you have a right to a second opinion. And while I can't personally advise on what to do with the medicines that you're choosing, they're choosing to provide to you or, or place you on, you can talk this through with another doctor and they will give your feedback. You don't have to go to the doctor in the same practice. You can look up another doctor and talk to them and communicate your concerns. And I always advise people when you have concerns, write your concerns down because if you're going off of memory and you're going to talk to this doctor and you don't have anything written, you're going to really miss the point of what your appointment is for. And it's really to get this second opinion and to get insight that you as a patient, as a mom who's really concerned about taking this medication for your baby, you need advice. So have it written down and you can even now with COVID, it'd be easier because you can say, you know, I just want to set, set up a consultation with this doctor to ask some questions, to gain some insight and knowledge that I don't have. And there's nothing wrong with that. So it's nothing wrong with you being concerned. That's natural. And it's nothing wrong for you with you seeking to get extra help, another answer from a second opinion. I absolutely agree with that. Um, but I want to make sure you get yourself out of this acute flare. Always ask for a second opinion and make sure the second opinion is like timely. Like don't keep yourself in a flare for a prolonged period of time. Ask for it. Then absolutely. Don't, don't be ashamed to ask for it. Um, get your second opinion and then move forward your treatment. But know that steroids are okay for an acute flare. Um, so I want to back up because the first case talked about Humira, which is the same thing as Adalimumab, if people are listening and want to know what exactly that is. That's a monoclonal antibody. It can, it's, it basically helps regulate your immune system. Um, and it can cross the placenta, but... That is more so in the third trimester than the first. So if you're on that, it is safe to continue, okay? There are certain NSAIDs that can also be continued. Um, some people may be on um, an NSAID called uh, mesalamine. That can be continued, but it should be continued in the third trimester because it can cause some issues with the baby's heart. Also, azathioprine and sulfasalazine, those are also two common um, Crohn's medication. Um, they can be continued, particularly sulfasalazine can be continued, um, but it has to, that one um, can cause a reduction in folate um, and, and cause, cause an issue in some DNAs that use folic acid. So you have to take two milligrams of folate a day if you're on sulfasalazine. That is completely just of utmost importance because if not, your baby does have a tenfold risk of a spinal cord defect. So please, if you're on that medicine, you should be on folic acid anyway, just for yourself. But in pregnancy, that folic acid needs to be increased to two milligrams a day um, to help reduce the risk of, of issues with the spine in your baby. Um, and then uh, also azathioprine, that's one that people may take you off of. We have to weigh the risks versus the benefits of that drug um, to continue it because we don't want to put you in a flare. But um, in the first trimester, it has been known to cause um, a small risk of birth defects. And then the thing that you cannot take, you just can't take, is methotrexate. Oh, my goodness. Methotrexate can cause a constellation of just abnormal um, anomalies in babies. It's not good. Um, same thing with thalidomide, which I don't even know if they prescribe that in the U.S. anymore, but um, that is a no-no. That can cause major birth defects 
in the baby. So I know I was, I was I meant to go over different medicines um, with that first case, but I didn't. And then when this patient brought up the steroids, I wanted to make sure that we knew some of the common things and what was safe. So the case pearl for this is always ask a second opinion, but steroids are safe in pregnancy for treatment of a flare and actually are the drug of choice. Any email cases? Yes, here's one. Hi, Dr. Plenty. I recently got married to the love of my life. I'm 36 years old and have had Crohn's disease for the last six years. I have had several surgeries for Crohn's disease, so I'm concerned about getting pregnant. I have had two bowel surgeries and previously had a coloscopy bag. However, I had a bowel reanastomosis last year and no longer have the coloscopy bag. I haven't had a flare up for the last year. I really want to have a child, but I'm afraid that my Crohn's disease and my previous surgeries will make me high risk. What are my options? One, you have an autoimmune disease, sir. Yes, you're high risk. That is that is what correct. we're going to have to accept because we're high risk. Two, consult your doctors, of course, but having had my, my daughter healthy, happy, and she's so full of life while battling Crohn's disease, I say to all patients, don't put your life, life on hold. Don't allow Crohn's disease to imprison you with fear because that's going to paralyze you and stop you from living life. Definitely consult with your medical team, your care team, and know that you can have an absolutely successful and healthy pregnancy while battling Crohn's disease. I like that. Yes, and I would agree with that. Um, I definitely think that make sure before you try to get pregnant that you are having a preconception consult, whether that's with your primary care doctor, your gastroenterologist, um, your maternal, like a maternal fetal medicine, medicine specialist. You need to make sure you're planning. That is the most important thing here. The good thing is that you're asking these questions before you got pregnant. So making sure you're planning and so, so someone can go through all of your medicines to make sure that they're safe and to make sure you're controlled on medicines that are safe in pregnancy before you get pregnant is really, really important. And two, just because you've had surgeries doesn't mean you can't have a baby. You did not have surgery on your uterus. You had surgery on your colon. So those are two different places. So your uterus can still house a baby. And unless you are on birth control, you can still get pregnant. So make sure that one, you're planning to get pregnant. And then two, go through and make sure in terms of your nutritional status that you're okay from a nutritional standpoint. Sometimes when people have multiple surgery on their abdomen, it can create scarring and scar tissue. So that may make you uh, a little risky if you happen to have a C-section per se, because you may have to have a different type of surgeon in there in addition to your OBGYN to help take down scar tissue or to help make sure that your bowel and that site of um, reconnection, which is what reanastomosis means. That means her bowel was basically reconnected and she no longer has a bag. Um, so to make sure that connection site is not bothered um, during the time of a C-section. So yes, usually we would bring either a gastroenterologist or um, a GI surgeon in at the time of C-section to do um, to make sure that there's not a lot of scar tissue. That's very common, but it doesn't mean that you can't have a vaginal delivery either. So I would say if you are healthy, if you have nothing else going on, 
you've been flare free for at least a year, then yeah, it would be safe for you to get pregnant. Now I say that meaning make sure nothing else is going on. Okay. Like you don't have heart disease or you don't have diabetes that's uncontrolled or anything like that. Cause you want to make sure those other things are controlled, but just looking at Crohn's disease. Yes. A preconception consult for planning. And then of course you can have a child as long as you're ovulating regularly, you have normal monthly cycles, you should be able to get pregnant as long as you're, you know, safe on a safe regimen before you start the pregnancy. Case Pearl, preconception consults matter. Make sure you're planning for your pregnancy. Make sure you get a preconception consult. But yes, you can get pregnant. Crohn's disease or any autoimmune disease should not stop you from having a family. So to wrap up, thanks so much, Mel, for joining the podcast today and sharing your experiences. Please let the listeners know about any of your current or ongoing projects. Well, because I do have a foundation, Color of Crohn's and Chronic Illness, we are preparing for Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week. I would love your participation and support. You can find more information on Instagram at color of CCI. That is our task, our handle. And we'd love to have you supporting and disseminating this information to your network because so many things are kept in silence. You never know what you can do and whose life you can change simply by reposting and supporting our messages. Awesome. And, and Share all your social media handles with us so we can continue to follow and support you. Where you can also follow me on Instagram at Melody, M-E-L-O-D-I-E-N Blackwell, B-L-A-C-K-W-E-L-L. And I'm also on Facebook, Melody Narain Blackwell. I'm also on Twitter, Twitter, and my name on Twitter is Must, the letter B, the music. I like that. Must be the music. I love that. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show, sharing your story, um, sharing your experiences. I will definitely personally follow everything and definitely will support. And if I can be of a support to you in any way, just let me know. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So if you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Also, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty, produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. <laughs> 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.